Hey you guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And normally each week we talk to someone of interest about it, but this week it is our final chapter in our Rise of Skywalker scoring episodes. We've been scoring the movie menu chapter by menu chapter. Act by act, three acts. So we're up to the final act in our uh, concluding scene. Last episode, Ben Solo was confronted by the memory of Han Solo for whew, quite a um, quite a scene, quite a scene. Loved it to bits. Harrison Ford, Adam Driver. Whew. So we're scoring each chapter because the deal is, if you are new to the podcast, wasn't the biggest fan of some of the turns in The Rise of Skywalker and the film overall was my least favourite of the sequel trilogy, but there's bits in it that I absolutely love, like the aforementioned solo uh, scene. So I always had this thing, this interest in, because people always debate, you know, what's the best Star Wars film? What's the worst Star Wars film? And I noticed that with myself was I, like, like with the prequels, I would focus on the things that I didn't like about them. But if I just took those things out, I would very much enjoy the films and sort of doing that mental editing in my head really helped me enjoy them more because the overall films are, in my opinion, pretty sick. So uh, I always had this interest in scoring all the saga chapter by chapter, menu chapter by menu chapter, because I feel like that's a you know solid piece of time, and then working out an average score for each film to determine mathematically still it's uh, one person's opinion, which one is best. And, of course, it's a very antiseptic way to do it because it's, you know, the overall um, experience of a film is, is seeing it in one chunk. But I feel like this is a fun thing to do and uh, spark some discussion. And several of you have been hitting me up asking for when the conclusion of this one was. It was going to be sooner... Uh, I was going to time it with the launch of the home video version of The Rise of Skywalker, but then they released that early because of everyone having to stay inside and because everyone had to stay inside, that threw my life into disorder. So <laughs> I had to bump this one back later because it, 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 for some reason doing these ones these way, this way, like watching a segment and scoring it and then doing the podcast, it takes a lot more time than just talking to someone for an hour and a half about Star Wars. And I, I, I tried to put some other episodes in just to mix it up. So if uh, maybe this isn't your vibe or you haven't listened to it, maybe this is your vibe, but you haven't heard it already. Go back to the Peter Serretta, the last interview episode we did. He was the guy, uh, he's from Slash Film, and he broke the news about uh, Ahsoka Tano in The Mandalorian. So we go all behind uh, that scoop 
another big scoop that he's sitting on and uh, talk about his Star Wars fandom and all that. It's it's super, super fun. So we are scoring this. We are up to... Where is my little score sheet, you guys? Scoring. After the first two acts, we are at an average of 3.5. We had been trying not to use the half scores, um, but we did have some feedback that that probably the half scores, I, I'm thinking about doing this for all the films in some format. Um, something a bit more fun, a bit more of a group effort than just me doing it by myself. And I definitely think we need to expand the scoring up to 10s because it doesn't, the out of five, it doesn't allow for much nuance. You know, sometimes you might uh, want a seven or you want a six. Six is a, six is a bit of a diss, I reckon. It's like, yeah. So uh, we're doing this out of five. At the moment, we are on an average of 3.5 of the film. Um, for those late to the party, uh, fives included Ray Training, uh, Leah Comforting Ray, um, the arriving at Pisana scene. Loved that. Um, and actually the last five, no, the last three scenes that we did, um, were all fives, the waves and sabers. These are my names. Uh, the she's gone scene and then the son of solo scene. We've had a couple of ones, no one, one hyperspace skipping and one zero. And that was the reveal, um, of Ray Palpatine. From uh, Palpatine to uh, to Ben or to Kylo Ren at the time, not down with that. But I have um, I've watched a few of these scenes already, just uh, getting my notes together, and there's some good stuff. There's some good stuff. This um, some people were frustrated that the score wasn't reflecting how I actually feel about the film. And that's kind of the point of the whole exercise. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, some weird thing that fascinates me and I invented. So don't look for reasoning or it's not meant to be fair. It's just uh, a mess about thing. So let's get to, um, our first chapter, the final order. So this chapter starts off with a giant hologram of Sheev without his pupils talking to General Pride and some great scripting here. I love that the Princess of Alderaan has altered her plans or his plans. What are his plans, though, to be honest? Um, and then Pride, which is a good bit of... Um, putting it all together, says, as I served you in the old wars, I serve you now. Pretty sick. So Palpatine informs Pride to go blow up a planet that everyone will know. And then another really sick shot. Very Empire Strikes Back with the Star Destroyer coming out of hyperspace. 
and it's got a giant Death Star level cannon underneath it, this giant gun, and it blows up Kamiji. Now, the introduction of this giant weapon gun thing, it's a bit much for me, guys. The facts, I will, how it plays out. So it's just a bit cartoony that how many it is, a thousand ships each have got a, a, like a planet destroying laser. Like, this is the thing. It's, it's the last in the saga, this film, but there's going to be other Star Wars films come out. It's just too much topping on top of the chocolate sundae. Like a thousand planet destroying star destroyers. Like, where do you go from there as far as turning it up to 11? Um, then it crosses over to the resistance base where Poe says, Kamiji, how? And then I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but. She's the resistance officer that kisses um, the other resistance member at the end, and she she was she was the one that announced that Princess Leia, you know, what was going on in um, the Last Jedi. Anyway, she says it came from a blast from this star destroyer. It's got a planet destroying weapon, and I've got the captions on. <laughs> and Poe's reply is size. <laughs> Which I find, for someone that doesn't like this whole planet-destroying thousand-ship thing, this scene is so meta. Because when she says that, that it's like a planet-destroying laser on the bottom of a a Sith Star Destroyer from the Unknowns, and he sighs, like I sigh at the same time. And then Charlie from Lost cruises past... I'm actually doing a Lost rewatch right now, so it is weird to... um, like in this movie, he annoys me because he's he just feels so jammed in, where, you know, and where it, that could have been Rose passing on this information, and it the fact that it's one of JJ's mates and he won a bet or something to get into the film, it's sort of just like, uh. but I you know I don't begrudge the guy, and funnily enough, it seemed from the behind the scene photos of him going to the soccer and stuff that. Um, Kelly Marie Tran and him, you know, hung out a fair bit. Dominic Monaghan is his name. But I'm watching Lost, so he's sort of, he's won me back. You all, everybody. Oh, that series. Um, I know it's ironic that it's a J.J. Abrams um, produced and first episode directed show and people debate the ending. And I'm watching another, um, yeah, I'm watching the movie version. Charlie from Lost Cruises past and says, planet destroying weapons, does that mean, does every ship, and Poe just jumps in and goes, of course they do. That was his plan all along or something like that. So he just immediately, like it seems like the plot advance of these thousand ships it just seems like they're explaining it in fast forward and that, of course, they do. Why would you jump to that conclusion immediately? Mm. Anyway, again, it's stuff like that stands out when you don't like what's going on. 
Rose, in one of her few speaking moments in the film, tells Poe that he's left in command. Um, so Poe goes to the body of Princess Leia for guidance, just to, to speak to her. And that is when Billy D. Williams, Lando Carizian, emerges from the shadows. Guys, now's not the time to wonder why Lando Carizian is just hanging out in... It, it's, it's, it's a very weird place to emerge from. That's all I'm going to say. What I'm saying is, is don't emerge from the darkness when you're talking, when you're watching someone grieve a, um, at, a, at a funeral home or, or something like that. I was wondering, like the Lando insertion in Pisana was, you know, it, it was fun. But in the end, would it have been better for the reveal that this was the first time we saw Lando Carizian. Lando Carizian. Because, I don't know, he's, like, it's cool he says hi to Chewie and stuff. And, and you can have them, you know, hugging at the end of the film. But he, it's pretty, you know, he's, that, that could be anyone sort of thing that was passing on that information. This message of um, him saying, how did we get through it? We had each other. That's all we needed. That's some pretty sweet stuff. So I wonder if, um, and, and also one of my things is like, what would have been the best pop on opening night? Um, and I feel like him turning up now for the first time, would have been pretty sweet. What do you think about that? Again, that's not like a, a justifiable, solid criticism. It's just like an opinion. Then we... Um, it goes to Finn and Dio talking. Um, it sort of cuts. You're presumed that Finn gets some information off Dio. He runs up to Poe. And Poe says, you know, it's a really cool moment. Finn and Poe have a, a good bit of banter here with um, Poe promotes Finn because he can't do it alone. He can't command this fleet alone. And he Finn very funnily, like in the, the pacing of this, it goes, thank you, and then keeps talking. And Dio has told Finn that Oshi was sent by the Emperor to get a girl from Jakku and he wanted her alive. And then there's, there's, like, at one point in the film, Pavlotin wanted her dead. Um, yeah, it, like, I, I, like, I know his plan changed because it did. You know, they're saying they're rewriting it all the time. And I just don't, it just doesn't connect. Like, it doesn't all fit together. There's too much working. Um and I, I just wish that the Star Destroyer, the whole thousand ships having these planet-destroying things, it, it, it's, it's just turned up a little bit too much for me. I wish it was more a, a, like a just a badass gun. It could do some damage. Do you know what I mean? And, and the thing was, there was a thousand of them, and so that's why it would be nasty. And maybe one Star Destroyer or five could go, and, and it would just not blow up the planet, but decimate it. Um, 
you know, it, it could be cool for a different thing to have a laser not blow up an entire planet. I know we saw a bit of it on Rogue One or in Rogue One, but something that sort of rotted the planet or, or just, you know, did something else than another planet exploding. Because we did see that in um, 1977. And I know it's all connected, but come on. It's blowing up a lot of planets here. JJ's six planets deep, I think he's blown up so far in the Star Wars universe. Um, so, yeah, overall, this menu chapter, like, I love the Billy D. Williams bit. I think that's really cool. I like the Finn Poe banter. I do like the hologram with General Pride and like Pride's like callback to uh, the Empire and how he was in the Empire. That's a good bit of um, just sowing the seeds of, of what their relationship was and what sort of person Pride is. Um, but I, when I was first watching it on opening day, the whole introduction of the super laser thousand star destroyers, I was just like, what? really is too much. Like, I just feel like he piles things on JJ and, and, you know, Chris Terrio, they pile, like it's every, every ship's got one. And there's a, th- like, it's just piled on and on and on to where it's sort of just like, yeah, I know this is Star Wars, but you know, and everyone's got their tone of what they accept and stuff. But for me, it's like, Hey, you, you're pushing it. With these thousand, um, these thousand star destroyers with planet destroyers, it just seems just too much, and it doesn't like it doesn't have to be that much to be a threat. Do you know what I mean? Like if it was just like they were gonna had these planet rotting lasers or whatever, they do a lot of damage and they could sweep through the galaxy, um, you know, destroying planets as they went until planets started to. Um, you know, just give in and, 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 and accept the first order or accept the final order. So that really took it down for me was the introduction of, um, of that. So I'm going to clock this one in a two. All right. So we are back to Acto for Destiny of the Jedi, chapter 31. This one is with Ray burning Kylo's second destroyed TIE fighter of the movie. Are, are those two TIE fighters exactly the same? I What I find very interesting, or just, I don't even know if it's interesting, but remember that Colin Trevorrow had to design a ship, like their pre-production came up with that Kylo Ren shuttle that is at Galaxy's Edge. And it was meant to be from episode nine. And then J.J. Abrams didn't even use it. Like, didn't even just pop it in (laughs) just for a bit of continuity. Very bizarre. So, yeah. um, Ray is burning the TIE fighter. Another TIE fighter goes down. These are good. Uh, We get a Porg yelling. So, uh, a bit of The Last Jedi, which was cool. And then she throws the lightsaber and Luke catches it out of the fire. And this was like Luke coming back as a ghost in episode nine was the thing I was looking forward to the most. And 
the way he catches it and says, uh, a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. I just think, I don't know if it's me because I feel like it's like referencing or it is, it's, it feels like it's referencing the real life reaction to um, Luke throwing the lightsaber. I know in universe you can sort of say, well, he's he's referencing what he once did, but it was such a controversial thing, and it's so weird because JJ Abrams has got this weird habit of doing this. In that the opening line of The Force Awakens is, this should make things right. Which, like, I know people that know people in the production have denied, oh, no, I do not. But does no one pick up on that? (laughs) Anyway, so he catches it. He gives this brutal line reading. Which it just sticks out. I don't know if it's sticking out to me or it is bad, but it just seems so hammy, like extra. And, you know, whether you like The Last Jedi or not, Hamill, that was some pretty fine acting there from Mark Hamill. Um, Now, with this Force Ghost, one of the things that bugs me about it is the panning. Like the camera pans, which, you know, it's really sweet that you can now pan with a hologram or hologram, Force Ghost. But they were always sort of flat shots in the original trilogy due to the technology. And I just, I don't know, there's something about the panning camera as Luke's a ghost that it just, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. And then Ray says she's most scared of herself. And Mark Hamill says, or Luke Skywalker says, because you're a Palpatine. Um, Leia knew, and Ray says, she didn't tell me. Which, this whole scene bugs me, okay? Because Leia lost Kyle in part from keeping secret that Darth Vader was granddaddy. And now she's like, and, you know, this is not, you know, that that, that is of no issue to J.J. Uh, Abrams and Chris Terrio in writing this. But in, in the canon that we're all invested in, that, um, you know, multiple times, Ray, Leia's answer's been, just don't tell him. It went really bad with our son, but maybe with her it will be okay. Just don't tell. All good. I do love Mark Hamill... Luke Skywalker revving Ray up with the uh, the war will lost the war will be lost so close to saying the Star War will be lost but I, f- I, I like that line Ray probably should let him know that she grabbed the books no no <laughs> does does like is Ray thinking that Luke's the whole time going, this girl stole my books. Because Luke doesn't know that she took them. I don't think. So anyway, there's some stuff going on there. 
And then you have got the long-awaited moment of an X-Wing or the X-Wing getting levitated out of the water by Luke Skywalker. We knew the X-Wing was in there in um, some early leaks in, from The Rise of Skywalker. No, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. It was on the pinball. And, you know, of course, myself included, you know, people wanted Luke to lift it up and uh, go fight another day. And here he does it for Ray, which I would have much rathered that Luke show her the X-Wing and Ray does it herself. Because what's... There's no achievement for Luke Skywalker to levitate an X-Wing at this point. He is a Jedi Master who was passed on to the afterlife. He's got nothing left to prove. Like, I know it's like, oh, he finally did it. Finally did it. 40 years later, he did it. But if Ray had done it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If Ray had a done or done out, there was no try. I really tongue-twisted myself. I, f- I feel like that'd be a more powerful moment. And I don't know, I'm, I, am, I am bitter on this scene. When I re-watched it yesterday, I was like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not as bad as I thought. And then watching again today, I'm, I'm back on. I'm back being bitter. Just because I, um, I, this, was, this was the scene I was most looking forward to. From pretty much the end of um, The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker, Force Ghost. And it just it just rubs me the wrong way, you guys. It rubs me the wrong way. Rey hasn't seen Empire Strikes Back. She's sort of doing this satisfied smile that's meant to be the audience's like, yeah, Luke finally did it. But she doesn't know about that. It's so odd. It's so odd. Let's move on. I can't believe I'm saying this. Who would have thought? I'm giving the Luke Skywalker Force Ghost scene a two. All right, so this is chapter 32, Battle Plans, and we have... R2-D2 and C-3PO meeting up and R2 very shocked that 3PO can't remember him. And in his beeps, says that they're best friends and C-3PO would remember if he had such a thing as a best friend. It's very endearing. Then in two seconds, he's restored all his memories. So the whole thing with getting upset and, and... like giving our love to C-3PO for sacrificing himself 
is <laughs> woke up. It was all a dream. Uh, oh, another uh, back from the dead for um, for this film. So many back from the deads. So is it is it ever been a film with more characters back from the dead? You've got you've got Palpatine, three PO, Chewbacca. Uh, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, all the Force Ghosts, I guess. <laughs> so many people back from the dead. I thought it would have been super cool later on in the film, like in the conclusion, happy moments, that R2-D2 restored C-3PO's memory but did it in a way that he remembered everything. So he was like, Master Anakin, Mistress Padme, oh no. And the comedy was that he remembers everything now and he can't handle it. But just in the middle of the film, like, zip, undone that. I, I, uh, uh, uh. Then they get a, uh, they're having their big battle plan meeting. Oh, I'm back off Dominic Monaghan in this scene. Awful. First of all, he just gets wedged in for just going to Chewbacca. Like they're all having their meeting and Dominic Monaghan walks past um, Charlie from Lost, everyone. Walks past Chewie as he's still sort of um, mourning and he goes, come on, we need you. And again, it's like, old mate. Let's, it could have been anyone, anyone. And by anyone, I mean Rose. <laughs> Consoling, but um, he had to get in a line. Then um, they have their big meeting, you know, classic Star Wars. We've got a plan. We're going to explain it. All these different people are going to speak and it's all going well. Until Charlie from Lost goes, how about we pull some Holdo maneuvers? <laughs> and then someone says, don't be silly, that's one in a million. Even though it looks like we see one at the end of the film. Poe and Finn give their Independence Day style speech before um, a, a very cool shot of the Falcon going to the galaxy to find uh, people to help, and then the uh, Resistance fleet going off to Exegol. Also, this is the scene where they get the signal from Luke's X-Wing, and it's Ray. And this coincides with a bit of Poe's speech that is going to dig at me. And that's the whole, we've got friends out there and like they will come, you know, if they know they're not alone. All right. First of all, Ray Palatine, that, 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 that is a big misstep. It, it's, it's like a nuclear misstep. So it, it's out of bounds. It's, it's so far out. But another one is just ignoring... Luke's sacrifice at Crate at the end of The Last Jedi. Like we saw 
at the end of the last show in the little coda thing with the broom broom boy reenacting the scene and, and he's inspired to look to the stars and he's got the force and he's once he grows up he's going to fight for good he's inspired the story of jedi master luke skywalker has inspired him to want to do great things with his life who can blame him but i wish wish that part of the storyline was that the rest of the galaxy had also seen the stand, not just a uh, orphan slave boy, but the rest of the galaxy had seen Luke stand and just went like a Jedi Tiananmen Square. Just one person standing in front of the and facing off against the whole First Order with their laser sword, as predicted at the start of The Last Jedi. But yeah, that scene had spread around the universe and people were like, Luke Skywalker saved us once, he will save us again. I'm getting, even if they killed him, that's it. I'm fighting along with it as well. Ah! Come on! You're killing me! You're getting a two. Right, next up we've got chapter 33, Welcome to Exegol. Ray arrives and flies past the giant Star Destroyer fleet. She lands on Exegol and goes on a pretty visually spectacular stroll into the Sith Temple. This all looks uh, pretty damn good. Giant uh, statues and stuff, kind of like a Sith version of uh, what we saw in Rogue One on Jeddah. Then the Resistance fleet arrives. Uh, Jaina looks like she's about to make out with Finn as she uh, leans over to tell him something. And there's there's one thing I like about this is there's this crazy fleet and then Poe's like, get down to their attitude and then we can't, uh, they, they can't fire upon us as much or whatever. Um, that's good Star Wars logic. I like that. I like that a lot. But then they're going for the navigation tower, which is on the ground, which is going to mean that the final order can't communicate to, to get all these Star Destroyers up. They're going for it. They're on target. Stay on target. And then they changed the transmission to Pride's Star Destroyer that's also got the same beacon. And then they just leave it. Like, oh, they're using this beacon now, but we're just here. Just, just pull up this one while we're here. It's, 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 it's in your sights. You literally just hit the laser button. <laughs> Um, so bizarre. And also just a bizarre addition of another quest in a quest. Like this, this film does not need any more convolution, you guys. <laughs> so that's welcome to Exegol and, um, uh, I give it a two. I'm going to give it a two. I was, I, I, I was jockeying between two and three, and 
how they just don't blow up the tower bugs me too much. All right, our next chapter is 34, Drop Zone. And Finn decides that he's going to drop on the Star Destroyer. This one's uh, actually pretty quick with the uh, the lander landing. And they're like, jam this, jam this speeders. We can't. They're not on speeders. And then it opens up. And the space horses run out. And BB-8's rolling with them. And that's pretty cool. That is some good stuff. So, I'm... um, I like the horses going out. I'm going to three. I'm just going to three. 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 Quick one. All right, this one's chapter 35, Throne of the Sith. Uh, you got Rey walking through the temple, sees the throne, uh, all pointy, very daunting. And then something that I really love. It's revealed that there's this giant thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe, of, of Sith fans out there cheering for their boy Sheev. At the uh, the Super Bowl of Sithness, a bit of chance. Love that. I reckon that's really cool. The uh, Sheev, the Emperor, reveals himself. Says, "I never wanted you dead." Which we've seen the film. You asked Kylo Ren. You, you wanted to kill her. I again, Sheev, and we'll talk about this in the, in the next couple of chapters, but. Master strategist. <laughs> he should have should have a plan and it should be working very well right until the end. And you could say that he's lying, but the cool thing about the Sith was was they, they always told the truth. Remember Count Dooku just telling Ben Kenobi about Darth Sidious and Darth Vader telling Luke, I'm your father. There is one... Awesome line here, Ian McDermott. When I was little, the Emperor in Return of the Jedi, I found him so annoying. He was so... He antagonized me with his... Like, I I got so annoyed with him. And he does something here where he goes, That is what I want! And it's so annoying! Kudos. Kudos to McDermott on that one. But uh, that is the chapter, and I'm going middle of the road with a three. In this chapter, Dark Turn, we go back to the space battle with Podamaron's X-Wing. Uh, Jaina and Finn bomb the head Star Destroyer, and they do this really... I guess it's a normal action scene wraparound shot of them both shooting in different directions. And it's impressive that, you know, the effects go wraparound. But I don't know, there's something about it that's a bit too modern filmy for me. You know, I guess they all don't fit into this anymore. But George did try to film it like it was a documentary. And the camera was just there taking in what was going on. So, yeah, I don't know. The wraparound thing just seemed a little bit just 
don't know, a bit glorious or something. Finn realizes he can blow up the whole ship with the laser cannon and Jaina will not leave. Then back to the space battle for a baffling line from Snap Wexley. Still no Falcon. Oh no, backup. Which, so close to the backup arriving, kind of reminds you that it's about to come. I don't know. Uh, That one hit me on the first screening. I was just like, he just reminded the audience that of that shot in the trailer. And it's JJ Friend, so it sticks out more. And things definitely do take a dark turn as the Resistance is overwhelmed by jetpacking Sith troopers that look uh, nice red and shiny. They look pretty damn cool. And the Emperor saying Luke was saved by his family, his father. In Return of the Jedi. Um, he didn't actually say Return of the Jedi, but I'm sure they were tempted to put it in the script. <laughs> joking, joking. But the only family that she has here is him. Grandpa Sheev. Which, again, is sort of, I don't know, just ham-fistedly referencing... Return of the Jedi. And they, they do that a couple of times in these closing moments. So that is Dark Turn. Yeah, uh, didn't do too much for me. So I'm going to give that one a two. All right, chapter 37 with... Uh, oh, there's some good stuff in here. Dyad of the Force. Ben Solo arrives on Exegol. And runs off from his TIE fighter parked next to Ray's or Luke's X-Wing. I guess it's Ray's now. Luke has no real need for it, if you uh, think about it in a practical way. That is a cool shot with the TIE fighter and the X-Wing parked next to each other. It sort of reminds me of of the toys, having them set up next to each other. But um, if you want to nerd out... If you want to get a bit nitpicky, those TIE fighters with the straight wings, the basic ones, I'm sure they've got a name. They don't have hyperdrive, you guys. They don't. So I guess you could say that this was a, a special one. Blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would have liked to have seen Kylo's TIE fighters come under, you know, they need some scrutiny in this one. He, um, he, he destroys one TIE fighter or Ray wrecks it on um, Pasana. God, I've forgotten all these names. And then he arrives on the moon of Endor where the Death Star is in a new one that looks practically exactly the same. I would have loved... Well, first of all, I, I just think they should have made it the, the next ship noticeably different. Also, so, you know, help me out here, you guys. I would have liked to have seen him get the TIE fighter from the Death Star and take off. That would have been pretty sick. Or at least have, have seen where those tie, TIE fighters were. If there was a scene sort of like a shot establishing there were some TIE fighters that looked reasonable. Just to, just to fill in, just as a, as a little hint 
for what is to come. And it could be in the, the door marked special experimental hyperdrive given TIE fighter. But yes, quite a, you know, for the, the average Star Wars viewer, that is not going to be an issue. But the average Star Wars viewer doesn't make a three-part series scoring a movie. So there you go. Ben Solo runs towards that pit where the Elevator 4 used to be and just takes a flying leap. Lands on the ancient giant Sith chain and says, Oh, he's now a Solo. This is one of the great surprises of this film for me. How good... Adam Driver was at playing Ben Solo. The shirt comes loose and his stance changed and he's, he's got a sense of humour. And a very Harrison Ford, Han Solo sort of um, sense of humour about things as well. Just in these little tiny ways, that shrug. Oh, Ben Solo, the best, the best. We go back to the Star Destroyer where Rose gets told to go by Finn. Hey, at least you got to reply on the comment link, you guys. Back to the throne room where Palpatine's giving his speech about how she will strike him down and, and pledge to the Sith. Back to Ben Solo, who runs around a corner, feels that there is one of those Sith caped guards, like a royal guard, but a Sith one, and does the Han Solo look away shot from The Force Awakens. Now, here's the thing about being a Star Wars fan. I never liked the Han Solo look away shot in The Force Awakens. It seemed like, because when there's a film universe where there's the Force and people have these special powers... I thought that was too verging on someone in that universe having that power. And, you know, I like that Han Solo doesn't have the force and he just gets by on his wits. Kind of, you know, Batman doesn't have superpowers, but um, he's got some sweet toys and doesn't mind getting bruised up, apparently. But because of this callback and because... Adam Driver does this so coolly. I flipped. I flipped on the solo lookaway shot. Big fan now. Driver redeemed it where Ford couldn't. Then Ben is circled by the Knights of Ren. The showdown that many have wanted for near on five years now, is it? Whilst Ray prepares to execute or, I don't know, sacrifice her granddaddy to the Sith, apparently Ben is fending off the Knights of Ren with the Force. And as Ray goes to strike Palpatine down, apparently, she connects with Ben and they formulate a plan. They call a spot, as they say in wrestling. Ben acknowledges it. Ray acknowledges it. She pulls her saber back 
to strike down her grandfather. And then, like your crazy uncle's brilliant magic trick, the saber is gone. She shows her hand, and then Ben pulls it out. The Knights of Ren are stunned. He does the shrug, and it is on! It is on. Ray then lights her saber and takes on the red Sith guards, the royal Sith guards, if you will. The rear. Then it goes back to Ben, who's doing flips over the Knights of Ren, stabbing them in the back, using laser bolts against other people, and to hit two wrestling references probably in under a minute. This is what it's all about. The face turn. The dreaded heel, who you knew was good at what they did, but they weren't on your side. They see the light, and now they're using their brute strength, their skills, their moves, and their attitude on your side for the power of good. And it feels pretty damn swell. I love it. Ben Solo. Ben Solo. Then back to Ray against the Royal Guards and somehow controversially she deflects a, a blaster bolt or two with her palm. I don't know, guys. Vader did it. It's okay. It's okay. And I do love that the last guard gets tossed aside by the face-turned Ben Solo. All right, then you've got a pretty iconic shot of Ben Solo and Ray, both with their blue sabers ignited, facing the Emperor. And the Emperor just sort of says, live together, die together, or something, and zaps them. And then it robs us of seeing them get to fight together. Like, I know we got to see it in The Last Jedi, but I just thought it would be way more... I don't know, symbolic of the the whole saga if it was both of them holding the sabres up crossed against the Emperor. He then discovers, oh God, this is a, an emotional roller coaster, this, uh, this chapter. He discovers the dyad in the Force and that it regrows fingers really quick and begins to zap their life energy. Now, the whole Dyad and the Force thing, as a concept, I love it. I think it's pretty dope. But Palpatine never should have stumbled upon it. And I believe in, if I remember correctly, or watching the documentary that comes with this, Chris Terrio, one of the writers with JJ, said that... The Emperor at the start of the film knows there's a Dyad in the Force and he wants to use it for evil. And, you know, classic JJ, rewrite, 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 and then things maybe don't make as much sense for everyone that hasn't read every different rewrite of the script. This just gets sort of dumped at the end that he finds out about it, but it would have been so much cooler if he knew about the Dyad of the Force for years since they were conceived and he's just been biding his time 
for like the time to be right where they're powerful enough that he can harness them to come back. It never should be that the master strategist, Emperor Palpatine, Sheev of Naboo, just banana peels his way into a finger regrowth cure. So this is a real tough one for me. Um, the dyad getting just pushed in there, that, that, that brings it down. It, it should be a five. It should be. But the whole thing with Sheev just stumbling into it, it, it just jars me. So it's going down to a four. But, man, that... that, that that scene with Ray passing the lightsaber to Kylo Ren, you know, I'll give this film a lot of heat, but I love it. Love it. Like it very much, um, you know, one of my favourite scenes in Star Wars. So... Kudos, but stop rewriting these films on the fly, <laughs> please. All right, we are up to chapter 38, The Galaxy Responds, which begins with R.I.P. Snap Wexley. One of the JJ mates goes down in flames, literally, into a Star Destroyer. Then Poe muses to his friends that he thought they had a chance. He's um, he's given up hope. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last chapter, but I don't know if it's his lines or just life in the cockpit, but I don't, I don't know. The cockpit scenes in the Exegol battle, I just don't, by Oscar Isaac. I don't know. I just feel like he's, it's a bit of a phone in. It's a, maybe he's channeling Harrison Ford towards the end of Return of the Jedi. But um, he gives up hope. There's too many of them. And then over the intercom, as John Williams fires up, Lando Carizian announces that there's more of us. And... Poe's X-Wing turns around to reveal the Resistance fleet, or the Rebellion fleet, or the, the Galaxy's fleet. Mixed emotions, you guys, here. Um, when we saw this shot of the Falcon in front of all the ships in the trailer, heartwarming. Yes, a galactic run-in. What we've all wanted. But I see the execution of this as a, a really big misfire, <laughs> given that it was one of the things that I had just so longed for, the galaxy to do a giant run-in. And for me, it just missed the mark. Um, 
here's how I would have done it. First of all, don't put it in the trailer because the exciting moment of that, like that whole thing is seeing that for the first time. And it, like, it means so, like when you watch it in the trailer, you're like, yes, it's going to be sick. But watching it in how the story plays out, hopefully should be like so much more. It should be such a, an adrenaline rush, which, you know, other people saw it that way. I did not. The reveal of it, I thought was just quite ham-fisted in that all the ships were already there. It's sort of, they do this reveal around a Star Destroyer, I think, that's like, come on, guys. We've got the opening shot of Revenge of the Sith to show you how you do this in a, uh, a visually stunning way. But just having all the ships already there, it, I don't know, it just... Like, so when it comes around, the ships are already there. How I would have done it was the Falcon comes out of hyperspace and a few more ships, then more, then more, then more, then more. Let it go for a minute and a half and have close-ups of those ships as they arrive out of hyperspace. I don't want to. Like, where there is no... This is it. This is the last film of... The Skywalker saga, apparently. I'm going to believe the marketing. But deep down, I'm hoping to not believe the marketing. Serve it up. I want the emotion in the film. I don't want to have to read slash film like two weeks later with, oh, that's confirmed the ghost in the background. I want to see in the movie opening night. There's the ghost. There's an Abu fighter. And apparently there was an Abu Starfighter in this fleet, but you need to freeze frame it. Which like sometimes that's super cool, but I wanted emotional callbacks to the entire saga while I'm watching the film for the first time. I'm never gonna watch and and try and find the Naboo Star Cruiser and go, yes. Nabooians are there as well. I was up for a ship manned by Ewoks. Go inside. They're all doing their thing. Man, Mon Cows. Get a Mon Cow cruiser in there. <sighs> Twin pod cloud car. Everything. Everything that we've seen. You can you can just call back to all ships. You can have an old Jedi Starfighter. It's the whatever it called the the behemoth or the the whatever that thing's called from Star Wars Resistance. Have them all there and have them up close and. Let us just soak in it that the galaxies come out. Having them all there, like we talk, let's talk wrestling, you guys. This is the run in, and for those that obviously don't listen much, the run in is when 
A wrestler is in peril in the ring. He is outnumbered. It is unfair. And then someone out the back in the locker room says, that's enough. I too may be outnumbered out there. But right is right and I stand for what's right. Cue the music. I'm running out there. And just having it already there, it, it, it really takes a bite out of it, especially when that shot was in the trailer. And, you know, JJ, like, set the benchmark. The original sort of hide stuff, you know, do not put in. In modern times, do not put in stuff that's going to sp- get spoiled later in the film. And he put into that shot. And like in retrospect, I, you know, I, I kind of felt like the marketing with what they revealed was going to be in the movie, maybe it, a bit more desperate than it needed to be. And admittedly, if you go back to a trailer reaction, I froth at it in the trailer. But that's that, that was the shot. That's all there was to the shot. There, there is uh, Lando's line, but it's it's okay. It's okay. Um, But a massive opportunity lost to not stretch that out over a minute. And fan service it up from all Star Wars errors. You could have had that wonky vacuum looking ship that fake Mace Windu crawled out of at the end of The Phantom Menace. (laughs) That would have been sick. Imagine a battle-hardened, bearded, wrinkled Rick Ollie having one final fight. Love it. But it was not to be. And we've talked about it before. This all should have been inspired by the bravery of Luke Skywalker. At crate. It's, um, you know, you watch a film as a film and you can interpret, you know, what the, the artists involved were, were trying to do. And, um, that's up to your interpretation. But when you read some of the interviews with the, uh, the crew, the creative crew behind this film in relation to The Last Jedi, they just didn't seem to embrace what it did. And I feel like ignoring that Luke storyline is a big part of that. Like they're, they're playing this, 
you know, whatever five year improv game of you tell a bit of your story, then your story, and then we'll continue it. And it just doesn't seem like they're playing fair or utilizing the best aspects of it. And I always said that if they made the galaxy responding more inspired by Luke Skywalker, that would probably heal a couple of wounds or maybe people see the death of Luke Skywalker and how he went in The Last Jedi, you know, they might they might come around to it a little bit more. God knows with uh, The Clone Wars how the last movie turned out with um, Darth Maul. I have complained, some would say, too often about Maul coming back in the cartoon. But I enjoyed that so much, I was like, yeah, well, maybe it was for the best. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Some people are just going to hate it regardless of whatever. But, you know, I know there's um, some people that just... um, just didn't like it for good old-fashioned nerd reasons. The best kind. We then get Dennis Lawson's cameo as Wedge, a uh, a nice little surprise, even though you know, it was rumoured that um, he'd spent a week on set. But in the heat of watching the movie, I forget about stuff like that. So um, on opening day, seeing Wedge was uh, a nice little surprise. Of course, a a bit of a bummer that he turned up just after his uh, stepson went headfirst into a Star Destroyer. That's, um, (laughs) That's a bit of a bummer. I, I guess if you want to fan service um, the book readers, he could have been there to save him. I got your snap. And um, he blasts the TIE fighters and uh, saves the day, which it kind of shows how out of sync the movie is with the books and stuff. Because that's... Like, such a weird... If you're, like, super into these characters, you're like, Snap Wexley just died. Oh, my God, his stepdad's now here and he doesn't know. He's giving shout-outs to Lando. So, anyway. As the Starfighter battle erupts, we go back to Pride on his Star Destroyer with his um, deputy telling him, it's people, which is... A cool little line. Then back out to the battle with a Y-Wing coming through, blowing up one of those thousand planet-destroying super lasers. And it's revealed it's Zori Bliss. This again doesn't... I don't know. She goes... So long, Sky Trash. And I'm like, oh, it's it's Ahsoka. Ah- Ahsoka's in the Y-Wing. That's great. But it's, it's Zori Bliss. It just seems... 
like a, a total change in character for her. And then at Steven Spielberg's request, we get the reveal that Babu Freak did not die on Kamiji. He is riding in the lap of Zori Puyas laughing along. Um, a, a, a tapped, like a, a, a taped in scene, obviously, reportedly, from Steven Spielberg, that actually does really seem like something that's just been added in. And, yeah, and, and Poe Dameron's selling of it as well. It's, it's, it's not happening for me. However... We do end this chapter with a a pretty sweet, just classic shot of a Star Destroyer blowing up. Nicely done. Just a good old... You're exploding in space. That's the way I like it. What am I going to do with this scene? I I think I'm I'm, I'm just going to put it in as a befuddled three. All right, we are on Chapter 39, The Emperor Reborn. We've got Ben and Ray knocked out of sorts on the throne room floor and the reborn, dieted up Emperor Clone comes out of the smoke and he's taken the time to get into a new outfit. You gotta love that. What the hell? Just, how do you, like the dyad redresses someone, it gives someone like a, a queer eye makeover. Oh, whatever. Um, Ian McDermott's great. I really think prequel hug, you guys, that the reformed, dyaded up Emperor, it should have been E. McDermott with yellow eyes. Like he should have reformed to his original self a bit older and eviler with the yellow eyes rather than you know, the rubber face that we all know. It, it's just... Mm, it, uh, like, why do even the clones look like him after... How did they clone his melting? I don't know. I don't know. You can say, like, oh, the evil was eating him out, but... Blah, 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 blah. Um, it just would have been cooler, I think. Would have been a great... Circle back to the Phantom Menace, having him back to his original look for a compelling reason. Oh my God, where I've got, you will not believe this, where I've got the last chapter paused at, I can see the Naboo Starfighter. This is the first time I've ever seen it while watching it myself. Sure, it's paused and it's super blurry. And like if I showed Jackie and said, what's that? She'd say, it's a blur on a screen. But I know that blur. It's old man Rickoli saying, there's a Star Destroyer exploding. That is very ironic. 
very ironic. So, yeah, he's back. He should have been more Ian McDermott. He should have had his yellow eyes. It would have been a giant hug to the prequels. And it also would have been a great surprise and would have mixed it up visually from the conclusion of Return of the Jedi with a very similar-looking Emperor doing quasi-similar things. The Emperor then opens up and says, As once I fell, so falls the last Skywalker, and he zaps him down that giant pit. I'm obviously in a mood, and you can interpret this any way you want. But I feel like that, like the, you know, the, the it's poetry, it all connects, it rhymes, of the Emperor then throwing a Skywalker down the pit. If this was, if Ryan Johnson was directing, he just would have done it happily. And then in the director's commentary, he would have pointed it out. And we'll go, oh, okay, it's a, it's, 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 that's a cool little thing. But this is JJ and Chris Terrio, so they've got to have the character point out before it happens. That's just me. The Emperor then turns into a giant evil iron cannon and zaps the entire fleet. And then the close-up of our returning heroes that I asked for, like when the the galaxy arrived, when they responded, it would have been cool to see Neom Num piloting a blockade runner in, we're here to help. But instead we see Neom Num cling for dear life as the blockade runner he's piloting begins to sink to Exegol. And... Um, Reportedly, he made it out. That's that's what I hear. That's what I hope, anyway. Back to Ray, who calls back to the start of the film in a very cool way with the, the Be With Me, calling out to her Jedi. And apparently, the Starfield... She sort of looks up and she sees the battle, but then it goes into, like, a Starfield. And apparently... That's the same star field from the opening shot of A New Hope. And that's the sort of Easter egg that I'm like, it doesn't affect the, like, oh yeah, that's cool. Moving on. Doesn't get in the way. Then uh, all the Jedi begin to talk to her. Now, I was musing about this on Twitter yesterday, I believe. Were there lesser known Jedi hoping to get a word in. You know? Was Plo Koon like, ah, oh, ah, ah. We can only wonder. So we hear from all Jedi, and uh, that's super cool. That is super cool. I wish they'd done a little bit extra in a following scene, but we'll talk about that later on. But um, to hear from a, a gamut of Jedi from all eras was super cool. And, hey, you know, I've been a bit cynical the last couple of scenes. But when Luke Skywalker says, the Force will be with you, or something to that effect, I'm like, 
Hell yeah, it will. The Emperor then announces to Rey, let your death be the final word in rebellion, or the like, and begins to fire some sweet Sith lightning. Thus concludes the scene that... I'm going for another three. I'm going for another three. It's just... It's just balancing itself out with, with stuff I like and, and, and stuff I don't. All right, we're on episode or chapter 40, Last Chance. The Rebellion Fleet's engines kick back into gear whilst Ray holds a lightsaber aloft against the Emperor's Force Lightning, Sith Lightning. And he announces in a very... Thanos endgame type of way that he is all the Sith and Rey replies as she force grabs Leia's lightsaber or the other lightsaber into her hand. I'm not sure if it's Leia's or the Skywalker one at this point that she is all the Jedi. I'm a huge Ray fan. And whilst I wish for it to be betterly done, betterly, sweet word, I do enjoy this. I I like Ray saving the galaxy. I'm into it. However, what I would have done the Emperor says, I am all the Sith. Ray holding one lightsaber. Leia's one, let's say. Yes, this is how you do it. She's holding Leia's lightsaber. Palpatine says, I'm all the Sith. Ray says, and I am. goes to force grab the lightsaber. It flies through the air past her and the Skywalker saber lands in the palm of the returned Ben Solo out of the pit and into the battle. Then they both stand cross-sabered pushing back the force lightning. The Sith Lightning. Give them a chance. The Dyad. To come together. To take victory over the Sith. And of course, you call back. To that scene in The Force Awakens. where the lightsaber chooses Rey over Kylo Ren. Ah! Come on, guys! It's like poetry. It all rhymes. Faster and more intense. Faster and more intense would have been a uh, a pretty solid title for this film. (laughs) 
I, I really do think the film would have been stronger if the dyad was leaned on far more heavily. That the Emperor knew, and we've talked about this before, about the dyad at the start of the film, which in one version of the film he did, as proven by Chris Terrio's comments in the making of on the Blu-ray. He explains that the Emperor's, you know, knows about the dyad. Anyway, and it should have been because the whole thing here, we 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 are about to see the Emperor vanquished and, and destroyed which is a, a, you know, a, a visually pretty spectacular scene. But it should have been pressed upon that the dyad, the emperor had been waiting for the dyad to flourish, for them both to become powerful, because that was his one chance to come back as the reborn emperor, which he does. But, you know, when he explodes and all that stuff blows up, you, you know, you have to... In the back of your head, like, okay, he's vanquished once for all. Is he, though? Is he, though? And if they had clarified that the dyad was his one chance to come back from the beginning, then him missing this mark in time to have these two powerful forces that are ultimately connected back together, that would have meant his death like far more final. Because lest we forget that the very notion that the Emperor was back in Star Wars Episode Nine was mind-blowing. It was not expected. So I, I, I feel like if they had implanted that, that the Dyad was his one chance to come back and that's why he was waiting for that, it would sort of answer the ridiculousness of him, he's just back with, well, this time, but he'll never be able to come back again. But Ray does eventually push back on the Emperor's Sith Lightning and we get a pretty sweet face-melting effect. Not since the, the Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark has a face melt been done so sweetly. And then a final sort of like push with the sabers sends a blast, destroying the Emperor. The Sith throne, which is uh, pretty spectacular. And I I, I see this sort of debated a little bit, but I, I, I actually think it's really cool. The destruction of all the Sith acolytes, the disciples, and the temple begins crumbling down. I like that. I, I think that's done pretty well. But ultimately... It really, again, back to the dyad, it should have been Ben Solo and Ray crossing the sabres to um, end the Emperor's reign. Because the only thing that could bring back the Emperor was the dyad, but the only thing that could vanquish the Emperor once and for all was the dyad. Look to the dyad, JJ. Look to the dyad. It's a very subtle Seinfeld reference for those playing at home. This marks a turning point in the battle as Jaina and 
Finn plug in the Turbo Laser to destroy Pride's Star Destroyer, and we get a ripping shot of Richard E. Grant running towards the window to look out, only to get a sweet tan from the exploding Star Destroyer behind him. And, hey, kudos to the passion and the excitement, the sheer joy of Richard E. Grant talking about Star Wars on social media leading up to the film. Love your work, buddy. Love your work. Appreciate, appreciated your enthusiasm, man. Good form. Heartwarming, in fact. And that final shot of him getting blasted out the window, it somehow looks like a, a miniature. I don't know, there's something that really like, calls back to Return of the Jedi, like their effect shots that... Very well done. Richard E. deserved nothing less. As all the Star Destroyers blow up, Poe calls out to Finn, are you seeing this? Rose lets Poe know that he didn't make it to the landing ship and Poe goes into action despite being told that he won't make it. He says, I'm fast. But then, over the intercom, in a true great moment in the film, Lando says, not as fast as this ship. Laughs. His ass off and Chewy roars. That Millennium Falcon theme kicks in. Care of John Williams. And the Falcon zooms fast and twists. And that sort of stuff. That's the sort of stuff I'm into. The run in, run in. Great stuff. The Falcon pulls into place where they are clinging to the collapsing Star Destroyer and Chewbacca's head sticks out of the Falcon, letting them know where they can jump back in, which I just find delightful. Just like, like the, he looks like the gopher in um, Caddyshack, just popping his head out. There he is. Um, that's not something you see and uh, you don't don't think about the gopher and Caddyshack on the initial viewing, admittedly. And the Falcon carves off into the dusty sunset of sorts of Exegol. Now for this one, I, I might be rounding up, but... It did have some A1 moments, so we're going to go with a four. Chapter 41, Ben. A bewildered Ray stands in the middle of the Sith Temple. She drops both sabers and collapses to the ground. Finn on the Falcon feels it. Was that shot a late reshoot? Someone let me know. It feels like it is. Ben Solo then emerges from the pit and makes his way over in great pain to Ray. 
I did actually notice in the closed captioning for this, it's got Kylo Ren breathes heavily, which, you know, it's not a thing to make a big thing about, but it's Ben Solo now, you guys. <laughs> Come on, caption person. Follow, follow the storyline. Because Kylo Ren is gone. And the hero, Ben Solo, has emerged. And when people were theorizing on what was going to happen to Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, at the end of the trilogy... You know, popular thought was was that he'd have to die because there is no way the rebellion would welcome him back. They didn't. It didn't have to go that way. He he could have. We'll talk about this in a second of where I thought it should have gone. But for the movie, the rebellion. We don't have to go into the minutia of what the rebellion thinks of Ben Solo after the war is over. To us, knowing what he's gone through and the change he made, he's a hero. That's the intention of the film, yeah? Like, whether you agree with it or not. Now, we've talked about this on the previous chapters, but... To me, the end goal should have been, and Adam Driver talked about how JJ told him the basic arc of the character, and I assume that would be that he would be redeemed and help save the galaxy. And in setting that up, the redemption, I feel like they went too far with his evil. You know, the the, the torturing of Ray, for instance. We talked about this with the proposed torturing of Chewbacca in the last episode. But when you're crafting the whole story, whilst that scene in The Force Awakens was, you know, it was very captivating. It... um, I just don't think it should have gone that far so then more people would be on board with the eventual redemption of Ben Solo. So Ben Solo seeing that Ray is motionless hits a a slightly meditative pause, puts his hand on Ray's side and works up a sweet, sweet force heal as introduced earlier in the film with the serpent. And funnily enough, that week on The Mandalorian with Baby Yoda, or Yoju, if you will. So Ben foreseals Ray. Ray awakens. And says, Ben. And gives that Daisy Ridley... Ray, smile. That it's one of the highlights of the film. It's so good. Like Daisy Ridley as Ray, Adam Driver as Ben Solo, Kylo Ren as well. Just 
masterful casting. Then the kiss, which I think going into it, I didn't think would happen and perhaps I thought shouldn't happen. But I hadn't met Ben Solo yet. And Adam Driver as Ben Solo won me over. And, you know, there's a lot of talk on online Twitter about the, the lack of Ben Solo merchandise. Um, and it is bizarre that there's not a Ben Solo action figure. Like, this is my least favourite Star Wars film, but I would definitely be copying a vintage collection Ben Solo and Ray Skywalker figure. I would. Love it. I, I love Ray Skywalker. And I know there's a lot of controversy around that with how people interpret that, but it was something that... I always thought it would be really cool to sort of keep the name of Skywalker going because, you know, Ben Solo has Skywalker blood, but his surname is Solo. So I thought it was really cool if Ray took on the name and, you know, continued the Skywalker name, not be related by blood, but in spirit. And again, I, I thought that would have worked really much cooler if she actually was just the uh, the parents of drunks that abandoned her. Going in, probably wasn't rooting for it, from memory. But I do remember in the cinema, next to my mate Sal, as they kissed, letting out a little, yes. I was on board. And got to give it up for Adam Driver and... And JJ, how they depicted Ben Solo. Would have been nice, I guess, in retrospect, to have a few lines. And in my opinion, I think it's undisputable. Undisputable opinion. That That's uh, not an oxymoron. That uh, it would have been better to have some actual lines from Ben Solo. But instead, in his current weakened state, after a force heal, which... You've got to imagine it's pretty draining. After the kiss, the smile, magic moment, Ben Solo drops to the ground and the closed captioning has Ray looks down on him as he's passed. Reads, cries softly. He then disappears, one with the force, and then we go to the body of Leia looked over by Maz Kanata at Resistance Base as Leia, now knowing that her son is at peace, also becomes one with the Force. Here's what I would have done. First up, of course, they fight together to defeat the Emperor. The Dyad triumphs. But the victory comes at a cost. Ray is on the ground, lifeless. Ben Solo awakens. 
And the scene pretty much plays out how it does in the film. Up to just after the kiss, Kylo Ren smiles, lets out a little giggle, seems about 10 years younger. He's finally got that out of the way. The comlink in one of Ray's belt pouches picks up a transmission from Finn, telling her that they've picked up her signal and are on the way. The force ghost of Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, appears. He tells his grandson he must survive so he can heal the living force as Anakin Skywalker could not. Jedi Master Luke Skywalker appears and says even though that his father brought balance to the Force, it is up to the Chosen One's grandson to heal it. You know where to go. We will be waiting. Ben replies, Yes, Master. And as the Falcon approaches, Ben is seen hopping into the cockpit of Red 5. And whilst it is never confirmed, the fan base theorises he was heading straight to the original Jedi temples on Akto. Once you're doing that episode 10, 10 years into the galaxy's future, you've got a pretty interesting place to find Ben Solo at. Has Ray been there with him, healing the Force? Only that film will tell, and it's just up to us to theorise till then. And at the point of Ben Solo communing with Anakin and Luke, that is when you can show General Leia becoming one with the Force and Maz Kanata giving a knowing smile. So when it comes to scoring this chapter, whilst I didn't like the way it went, I did love Ray's smile. I adored Ben Solo's little giggle. So I'm going to lock it in with a four. Alrighty, we are up to chapter 42, Victory. We see Red 5 zoom away from the rubble of Exegol. As I said in the previous chapter, could have been Ben flying off to... uh, Heal the force. But it is Ray. Finn picks up the signal. Poe sees it. Ray is alive. And Poe announces that people are rising up. Finn says, we did it. And there are some really cool shots of the fleet flying off to uh, enjoy their victory. Or the rebellion fleet. Uh, Poe's X-Wing going in sync with Red 5 and the Millennium Falcon flying off with the rest of the Resistance Rebellion fleet is pretty cool. Then we hit uh, the sort of special edition-esque Galactic Tour. We've got Bespin, which is an odd choice. Endor. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wicket. W. Warwick. And his son. Watching a Star Destroyer explode, looking exactly like the Holdo maneuver, but we'll we'll discuss that in a second. But Warwick Davis getting to get back into the wicket costume. Oh. Then making it inverted commas worse, more heart string pulling. His son joins him as Wicket's son. He walked up and his son's name's Harrison. In real life, not in the Star Wars universe. But um, we knew Wicket was going to be in the film from a sort of behind-the-scenes sort of promo clip they put out for The Rise of Skywalker. Admittedly, first screening, so much had gone on. (laughs) I completely forgot about his appearance. So seeing him and then realising his son was there was super cool. Oh, for those that maybe um, don't know, my son's name's Harrison as well. So that's why it sort of it tugs at me extra tough. And also, I still have my childhood Wicket and my childhood Kinesa. And Wicket was my number one teddy bear when I was a little boy. Loved him to death. Hugged him so his fur now is all short and matted. But Harry Harrison has taken a real liking to to Kinesa and sleeps with her every night, which is I most people listening know this, but Ewoks mean a lot to me. I was perfect Ewok age, and I've never grown out of that. So we see uh, Wicket and his son looking curiously at uh, the Star Destroyer exploding above them. Weirdly, when you want to think about it in a universe sense, the movie was just near them, given that the ocean, you know, the the moon that the Death Star was on must have been in the Endor system somewhere, presumably. Uh, maybe Maybe it's in another system and that Death Star really got pelting. And I'm sure some of you know this and can let me know. So we had Bespin, then we go to Endor, two Ewoks. Oh, beautiful. Then we go to Jakku. And that's it. Which, this film for me, when I want to be very cynical, is an amazing sequel to, or a finale to the original trilogy, The Force Awakens, and A Few Sweet Lines from Revenge of the Sith. And, yeah, that sort of, that the, the tour they go on, which is super special edition, which is rad. I love the special edition galactic tour, by the way. Big fan of that. In in special edition Return of the Jedi. Um, 
yeah, I just wish they'd sort of spread that out a little bit. Um, I have no idea why the Star Destroyer seemingly is getting split like a holdo maneuver when Charlie from Lost got shut down at the meeting for suggesting it, given that it's a one in a million shot. So I don't know. They must be trying this a lot because they've gotten a one in a million twice. So that would indicate to me that they've tried it at least one million and one times statistically. I don't think that's how it works. But here's what I was thinking would be a good finale tour. Endor. Wicket and Son. Yub-nubbing happily. Wouldn't change that for anything. I, I would get rid of the holdo maneuver thing, though, but that's just me. Then, to bind the saga, we must head to celebrations on Coruscant. Where so much prequel action took place. Then, where else in the galaxy would be extra happy that tyranny once again has exited Lothal in live action. That would be cool. You've got those towers. There's the the architecture there is very Lotholian. Then how about we go check out a celebrating Corellia from Solo, a Star Wars movie. A Star Wars movie. <laughs> Solo, a Star Wars movie. That's a way better title. And I'm not feeling the final scene at the Lars Homestead. Like, I thought it was super cool to see the Homestead again. But where I would have used it would be a Star Destroyer exploding with the Lars Homestead in the foreground. Nothing going on. I think that would have been a cool... Link in, you know, all those planets, Endor, Coruscant, Lothal, Corellia, Tatooine Homestead. Doing a lap of the Star Wars canon. That would have been great. In my opinion, all these pictures I do, they're just what I would like, you know. And, and sometimes people take that, I don't know, a bit too far with, oh, they wanted this, this must mean this, this and this. And it's like, no, nah, I'm just... This is where I'd like the film to go for for me to enjoy it. Let's not forget. After that first Star Wars film, we all had different opinions about it. So then we get to Resistance Base. There's a uh, A-wing landing. Let's just pause for a moment. Pull one out for our fallen fighter ace. Tally. Wish you could have been here with us, Tally. Wish you could have been here with us. But the rebels, the resistance, overcome the sadness of the lack of Tally at the celebration. And as the closed captioning says, there is much happy chatter and laughter, which is how a Star Wars film should end, I think. 
Now uh, we see lots of hugging. Uh, BB-8 gets reunited with Dio, whilst a pretty cool bounty hunter-looking droid with one big eyeball strolls in the background, which... I don't know. There's some reason I haven't really delved into, or maybe I've gotten too commonplace with all these amazing creatures in the background of, of these films coming out so often. Cause I, I remember like the force awakens just savoring every droid and creature in the, um, in the background. I always thought star Wars film every year and a half saga film every three years on the Christmas years and we'd, we'd have enough time to build up our anticipation and then dismount and, and, and savour all, uh, all the content that a film would bring. I remember with The Last Jedi to Solo, it was like, whoa, there are too many of them, is what I would say to myself in a weird voice. Then Charlie from Lost is overjoyed to get a pat on the back from Finn. It's like, blimey, it's... It's my second last shot of the movie, ain't it? That was... I'd like to apologise to people with voices everywhere for that one. I don't know what came out of me. Lovely couple of seconds with Chewy hugging Rose. Because, I don't know, Kelly Marie Tran seems like she'd be as, just as happy to be hugging Chewbacca as Rose would be in that moment. So, very sweet. Then... Poe and Zori Bliss see each other from across the field and bafflingly, Poe has to proposition her for some behind the Y-wing shenanigans, which, why do this? Why do you have to... There was a lot of theorising... These guys that Oscar Isaac got behind that that maybe Poe had a thing for Finn. And it just feels like it's a real unnecessary pushback to have like Poe propositioning Zori Bliss just to say, I'm as hetero as they come, mate. Got an arm in a sling. Just save the galaxy. I'm a man. So I thought it would be really cool if instead of that, they just looked at each other appreciatively, I know, boring, and Poe flicked back the commander's medallion that she had given, sacrificed to Poe so that the resistance would win. Wraps up a little storyline. It's not bad, is it? We say goodbye to Charlie from Lost as he gives Claude, the mechanic, a big Claude-sized hug. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for those Sith translations. Not Penny's boat. Not Penny's boat. I am approaching that episode in my Lost rewatch at the moment. I'm very excited, everyone. Then we see Commander Darcy, the commander that announced that Akbar had passed and that Holdo was now in command is seen very quickly kissing her female partner, her lady partner, is very briefly shown embracing and kissing her lady partner. It goes two ways. It is a a big thing to have 
a same-sex relationship depicted in a Star Wars film, but it's also so... It was in there for four seconds. And, you know, when they showed it in China, it got edited out and um, maybe a couple of other places. I don't know. This is what I would have done. Despite of getting around the politics of how long they showed kissing and stuff, but make a thing out of it. When the rebellion is going off to Exegol, have Commander Darcy, you know, give her a hug and wish her well and look nervous. Build up, like, that that would take 25 seconds. Let's round it up to 30 seconds. And would just add some gravitas to that. Plant the seeds of that further back in the film. And then things get, for me anyway, a little bit emotional. Chewbacca's talking to a fellow Resistance member when Maz Kanata calls over and says, this is for you, and hands Chewbacca Han Solo's medal from the A New Hope closing ceremony. Chewbacca looks down at it and, according to the closed captioning, grunts softly and looks up very appreciatively to Maz Kanata, who just gives one of the sweetest smiles ever animated. It warms my heart. Now, there's a lot of discussion about how Chewbacca got the medal this way. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the right way to do it or it's too fan servicey, but I loved it. It, it. it spoke to me as a Star Wars fan. I mean, Maz's smile alone. Very sweet. Poe Dameron seemingly just standing in the same place from where he was trying to eye Zori Bliss. He's he's just standing in the one place and he's just looking around for people to come to him, which is quite a social power move. So helmets off to you, Poe. He sees Finn. Finn is far more taken with a bit of physical contact than Zori Bliss was with Poe Dameron. And... They have just a hearty, emotional hug. A hug that two guys that worked on movies for six years, and it's possibly the last day, would give each other. I dare say it wasn't the last day. It may have been. I have no idea. Again, tugging at me seeing these guys hug after all they'd been through. Both in the movie and in real life. And maybe that was what Finn had been trying to tell Ray for the entire movie. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that at the end, about what Finn was trying to tell Ray. <laughs> we'll save that. 3PO asks if anyone can hear that. And I love that at a base where hundreds of ships just landed, 3PO is startled by another ship landing. That's, that's some classic 3PO. It is Rey in her X-Wing, or Luke Skywalker's X-Wing, Red 5. Again, don't think Luke needs it anymore. She jumps out and gives BB-8 a hug. And the hug is sort of like this weird restrained pat, and then she starts looking around. She should have just rocked him with a bear hug. Just 
treat him like Poe and Finn just hugged. I find most Daisy Ridley things in this film, apart from, oh, that seemed like so long ago we were talking about this, interaction with Leia, that, that, that was hard. But th- this would have been my one acting note for her. Just let BB-8 have it. Lando and Jaina discuss where they're from. Lando's from the gold system. Jaina doesn't know. Well, how about we go find out? And then they give each other quizzical looks. Now, seemingly in the production of this film, at times they were father and daughter and at other times they weren't. That sort of thing really frustrates me because I just feel like you should have your original intent in play at all. Like, don't change people. Like, I know from Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi, they changed people related, not mid-film. So much like I'm not really convinced that Finn was going to say the entire production that he was you know, connected to the Force. The to and froing of whether they're related or not, Lando and Jaina, is it takes away some of the experience for me. And maybe, like, my knowledge of the script coming together shouldn't affect my enjoyment of the film, but I feel like the, the on and off, topsy-turvy way some of the, the plot comes in and out of this film, like the dyad, which was meant to be known about at the start of the film, then wasn't known till the third act or so. Um, maybe it was the second act, whatever. Yeah, I really think that affects the flow of the film. It shows that they they sort of flipped things around and, and didn't patch it up. Whereas in the original trilogy, with them changing family members from Star Wars to Empire... Darth Vader's now Luke Skywalker's dad, and then from Empire to Jedi, Leia is Luke's sister. And apart from a few misplaced lips, it all fits together. Particularly Darth Vader being Luke's dad. When you watch the the scene at the Lars Homestead with Owen talking about Anakin... Like, it fits so amazingly perfect. And when Alec Guinness talks about Anakin, it fits perfectly. And I wish that, you know, all future stories that are are connecting to these older films keep how well that worked in mind and, and strive to reach that level of continuity in an evolving story. We then see Ray mill her way past some celebrating resistance fighters and kudos, kudos to the extras that leaned in and gave her a pat on the back. You are now a cemented part of Star Wars history. <laughs> There's a tall guy that leans over and the look on his face is just to me says, I'm in the movie. Yes. Thank you. Finn and Poe spy Ray from across the celebration. They make eye contact. Ray pauses and begins to cry. 
Poe and Finn rush over to her, and the three of them embrace. I gotta give it up. This is one of the most tear-jerking moments in Star Wars history. Daisy Ridley's face when she, as the closed captioning points out, sobs softly. Heart-wrenching. Just brilliant. She is Ray. So good. Our three sequel trilogy lead actors, lead hero actors. I don't want to get in a debate about the amazing Adam Driver. But our three hero leads embrace... They're crying. I'm crying. C-3PO's just staring there with gold eyes. He was such a trooper. And again, like I was talking with uh, with Finn and Poe and their hug. Hey, maybe I'm a mark, but I feel like this hug is... And I don't want it, you know, I don't want to pop the bubble. But, but to me, this hug is also these three actors saying goodbye on set after uh, their life-altering journey together in show business. But either way, end of adventure hug with Ray, Finn and Poe. It's still real to me, damn it. It's still real to me. And given what's in the movie without any additional deleted or refilmed scenes, and we'll talk about this in the next chapter, this final long shot of them hugging with the rebellion celebrating R2, C-3PO, Chewbacca in the foreground... That could have been the last shot. That would have left me on a far bigger end of Saga High than the final scene, which for me, I find like a real downer. Um, for reasons I will go into in the next chapter. There's many different reasons people might say that that's a downer of an ending, but Basically, my ending, I wanted to be seeing celebrating heroes surrounded by friends. They're the best Star Wars endings. Phantom Menace, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi. The Last Jedi, some might argue it wasn't appropriate to have that shot at the end, but it's there. And this one... I definitely think the end of the saga should have ended with celebrating heroes surrounded by friends. And, you know, like in stand-up comedy, you've got to know when to get off stage. You want to get off stage after the biggest laugh of your set because it's downhill from there. It's the biggest laugh. And for me, this was so much more an emotional high. Whilst teary, I was happy teary, 
so to go to credits on on that feeling like that was that was the perfect beat to get out for me and i feel like in the end i would have been better off just hearing about this proposed scene that maybe they were going to do after that with Ray burying the sabers. But ultimately they thought that was too melancholy a way to end the saga. I'm, I'm putting words into the mouths of these, these fictional people. And with the multiple shots and the panning, this, after a, such a hectic paced film, is such a well-timed chance for us to deal with what we're all going through watching the last minute or two of uh, the Skywalker saga. So I love this. And I think like if you just watch this now, you go, oh, that's a, that's a weird way to end. If you had some uplifting Star Wars music building to the crescendo of going to black directed by J.J. Abrams. I feel like you got one hell of an end of a film. I really do. Now, if you want to continue and and have a final scene post this, great. And I've got some ideas. We're going to hug the entire saga yet again, but we'll talk about that in the next chapter. Whilst, you know, I, I had a few nitpicks of this chapter... It was emotionally satisfying and very enjoyable. We're getting a late movie uptick with a four. Guys, we are here. Chapter 43, Saga's End. A apt place to finish a three-podcast review of a film. The Falcon flies past a Jawa Sandcrawler on Tatooine and the closed captioning, again, coming through with the wind, tells me that a Jawa exclaims in Jawa. Ray arrives at the Lars homestead and admittedly on the first screening when I saw this, I was pretty awestruck, pretty blown away. She looks into the crater, much like Luke did, and then does a delightful callback to The Force Awakens by doing a little sand sledding into the homestead. Always loved that in The Force Awakens. Oh, just the best. The camera angle then changes to from inside the Lars's dinner dining area, which... Again, it's breathtaking that it's been recreated. And this is sort of the whole tone of this chapter for me. She just looks sad and glum at it. Kind of thinking of of what had passed here. Like a a family used to dine here and and now it's lifeless and, and filled with sand. She has a cool force burial of the lightsabers. Got to give props to uh, the ingenuity on that and then lights her yellow saber. Then, very unexpectedly, I think, for most people watching this for the first time, apart from those that read 
leaks from you know preview screenings or whatever, a elderly lady with a very cool four-eyed camel. Got to give it up for old four-eyed camel. Doing to you know, like he's the final creature. The final creature in the Skywalker saga is four-eyed camel. So, hats off to you. That could be a um, a trivia question for a future pretty easy Star Wars trivia quiz. <laughs> They're the ones I like. When you go to like the ones in the bar, which are just for the common folk, and you can just blitz it, oh, feels good. Feels good. Now, did everyone else wait for this lady to tell her that a storm was coming? Because that's where I went. She asks for Ray's name. She says Ray. She says Ray who, which, bit nosy, but I guess that's how people are on Tatooine. She looks over to the emerging ghosts of Luke and Leia, looks back and proudly replies as the binary sun, I believe it's called, theme kicks in, Ray Skywalker. Now let's talk about that. My prediction in the 2019 prediction show was that Ray was going to take the name of Skywalker. When the film was announced as the rise of Skywalker, having Skywalker in the title of a Star Wars film thrilled me to no end. Thrilled me. But it also added fuel to my fire that she was going to take the name. Now, there's a lot of rumor, speculation, innuendo, conspiracy theories about different variations of of how this scene played out. I have no idea what's real and what's not at this point. I believe either maybe Kathleen Kennedy said that the idea of Ray taking on the name of Skywalker had been around since The Force Awakens. I, my personal, like how I feel about the films and that Luke Skywalker is my number one character, Ray would have to be my number two character. I really liked the idea of her taking on the Skywalker name so uh, the Skywalker name would, would live on in the galaxy because that just seemed like an uplifting way to end a film where, you know, Luke Skywalker's dead. Princess Leia, General Leia, who is essentially a, is a Skywalker by birth, she's dead but her name was never going to go back to Skywalker. Ben Solo, he's a Solo. So I, I, I felt like the title of Skywalker had to continue to the end of the film and, and, and into the future. So I like this. I, I, I have seen people you know, criticise this heavily and also sort of criticise people that like this turn, which, you know, I just don't think that's fair. I'm just coming at it from a Luke Skywalker fan, a Ray fan, a Star Wars fan. Then in the worst shot 
in Star Wars history. Kind of what you'd really be worried about the, this type of shot being in a, a like a, a Disney purchased Star Wars film. You know, people had concerns of, of what Disney would alter in the franchise and stuff. Force Awakens came out. It was more the same than ever. That is both what people liked and disliked about the film. But, you know, they didn't go for, in my opinion, tacky things like this. And that is BB-8 rolling past the twin sons of Tatooine while they're in a BB-8 formation. Like, I was pretty emotionally drained by the end of this film the first time I saw it. And sadly, not all those emotions were positive. And there's so much weight. It reminded me so much about going to see Revenge of the Sith. There's so much weight on this film to wrap it all up. And in the closing seconds, to have this blatant Easter egg... And, you know, I love the Disney Star Wars stuff. I love Galaxy's Edge. But to have sort of essentially the symbol, I think, of Disney Star Wars, you know, probably the most iconic addition to Star Wars is BB-8. And to have that at the end, oh, no buys. Zero buys on that. Then Ray and BB-8 stare off at the setting, or I think I may have seen on Twitter that they're rising suns, and that symbolizes a brand new day. Maybe, I don't know, but like for four decades, those twin suns have been at the sunset. And so that's how I took it. But they both look off to the twin sons with their heads perfectly aligned with the different heights of themselves and the position of uh, the stars, the suns in the background, which following up with that BB-8, BB-8 sun setting thing is just whoever's doing these shots with the twin sons is just chill out, chill out. And that's the final shot of the Skywalker saga. And as I said in the previous chapter, definitely what I wanted out of the final shot was heroes celebrating surrounded by friends. Because for me, that's the best part of Star Wars. And my favourite endings. I remember seeing Return of the Jedi. First night I ever saw it. First Star Wars film I got to see, like, in a cinema. Well, I'd seen Star Wars on a re-release. But, so this was with the zeitgeist. You know, the figures had come out. Ice creams had come out. That it was it was very exciting, and I remember that final shot of them all clapping at their Ewok village, Lando clapping away, 
and you know, I was so young, and I was sad it was the last film because I why would George Lucas lie? But I was so happy for them that they were all together and celebrating. And you can say, well, that's in the last scene. And I'm like, yeah, but then that goes back to my analogy about, you know, when to get off stage, when's the right time. And the high of the previous chapter was really subdued in this one to where I was quite melancholy when directed by J.J. Abrams appeared on the screen. And if it cut out on the hug in the previous chapter, then like... I would have looked across the cell and, and smiled and gone, they made it. They made it. Now, this chapter, it just feels lonely. You know, I know bb eight's a very popular character, but he's a droid. There's only so much emotional assistance he can give Ray. And, you know, Ray, who's gone through all this stuff, is then just looking out into these twin sons at the end of this adventure. And she must be just going, This is exactly like Jakku. <laughs> Jakku was brutal. I was going to go all wrinkly like that lady at the mechanic shop. I was really lonely in Jakku. Like, Jakku is loneliness to Ray. And, you know, if they just had her friends walk out of the Falcon and and stand with her to look off to the sun, like, that, that would have been a bit more uplifting to me. And, you know... Some people say they don't like it because it seems like she now lives there and people say, no, she doesn't. Well, like I, it's not even that, like, obviously I know she's going to go back into the Millennium Falcon and fly off. But the final shot makes me feel lonely. And also that, like, on a personal level, like, I love these films and... I've been lucky enough to grow up with them. And it's kind of uh, a line in the sand of my life. You know, much like the end of Return of the Jedi was when I was a little boy and Revenge of the Sith. It was like, oh, okay, well, my favourite thing, there's no more of that. Now, before we score this final scene, in the Skywalker saga and of course then tally the results to find mathematically what I thought of the entirety of the rise of Skywalker. Let's talk about this final scene a little bit more and have a little bit of fun theorizing. But how I feel this final scene really goes off track is that it's trying to wrap up my and the writers of the film's journey through the Skywalker saga, which began with A New Hope. And it wasn't trying to wrap up 
the journey of the characters in the Skywalker saga that began with The Phantom Menace. Like, what are the callbacks to the film that chronologically started the story? Like a blurry Naboo starfighter that you have to pause for? Um, A battle droid in the background of Babu Freaks? Like, if you compare that to the references made to A New Hope, it's a pretty skewed graph. Tellingly. Like, in the promotion of The Force Awakens, a major part of JJ's message was real sets, practical effects. Which, at the time, some Star Wars fans found as a slight on the prequels. We're upset about that. At the time, I thought it was a positive message because one of the things that many people had an issue about was the overuse of CGI progressively in the prequels. Now, I feel like JJ focused on what was wrong with the prequels and maybe didn't spend much time thinking about what was right with them, what could be incorporated beyond a really sweet line in Revenge of the Sith. Now, like what you like, and and we all do, but like in retrospect, that message in JJ's marketing, along with you know jokes to the press about the death of Jar Jar, you know, which are just remarks like that are just tired after so many years. They're just inane quips. But it seems like he didn't or he couldn't overlook what he didn't like about those films that millions and millions did and have those things come into the final chapter to enrich the storytelling of it. Things like maybe having the final scene of the saga on Naboo, the true home of the Skywalker twins. As we've talked about, give little hugs to the other films. Have the now enslaved Camino now working on Snoke clones. Make The Last Jedi's stand a crate be the inspiring catalyst for the galaxy to make their stand too. Because not only do these things, in my opinion, make the conclusion richer, but it also enriches those films they're referencing as well. Like the conclusion of The Clone Wars outdid itself in doing in relation to Revenge of the Sith. To me, J.J. didn't seem to put much effort in embracing the films that weren't part of his youth. Revenge of the Sith does get some great references with the Emperor, but after his initial appearance, it leans far more heavily into Return of the Jedi, which, of course, is admittedly my favourite film. But I've seen it. As mentioned earlier in the episode, having a more youthful Ian McDermott, his current age, which in contrast is youthful compared to how he appears, with the Sith eyes would have brought back the character in a really fresh and new way. Part of the frustration is it's obvious from interviews that some of the creative staff resented 
a lot of The Last Jedi, the, the smashing of Kylo's mask, the conclusion to the film. And it's annoying and it, it just seems in the scope of the big picture, which is concluding 40 years of beloved films, I don't know, kind of like petty and, and childish. That's just my interpretation. Like, heck... Someone really close to the production of The Force Awakens said that no one had even considered that Law Santeca's opening line of this will make things right, how, how that could have been seen as a slight at the prequels. And on opening night, that struck out to me immediately. So it, it's puzzling that if that's on the level, how no one in production would pick up on whether it was an intended slide or not, but see how that's how it could be seen because that's how many people saw it. How you end the film, the trilogy, the saga, that was always going to be hard. People want different things and some people want everything answered or addressed. Like, look at Lost. It split the fan base. Some of my friends think that Seinfeld, the finale, was like the worst ever episode. And I thought the trial with the witnesses was a great way to conclude the show while celebrating the cast of characters we'd met along the nine years of the show. And you could argue that the clip show did that, but I liked it in the actual finale episode and in a way I guess my proposed fan ending is a little along those lines so let's go with a classic this is how I would have done it and you know it's mostly off the top of my head and I'll probably lay it in a bit thick in some parts and it won't be for some of you but I, I think it's a fun exercise to uh, theorise. And it's, it's not how they must have done it, but what would have in theory been to more my taste. Maybe yours, maybe not. Let me know. As the hug in the previous chapter between Ray, Poe and Finn concludes, subsides, winds down, Chewbacca is seen in shot overseeing R2-D2 working on C-3PO. Ray shows Poe and Finn Luke's and Leia's sabres, saying something like, they are one with the Force, this is all that is left. They need to go home, but I don't know where that... And at this moment, R2-D2 working on C-3PO then brings back his memory. But it's his entire memory. The creation of Anakin Skywalker suddenly puts it all together. You know, like, Master Anakin, Mistress Padme, Master Luke, Princess Leia, Darth Vader. Something like that. He steps in, forgive my intrusion, but I think I know where. Meaning where the Saber's home would be. Everyone turns to C-3PO. Classic Star Wars wipe to the planet of Naboo. And hey, let's make it replicate the opening shot of The Phantom Menace. Same angle. Millennium Falcon flies in. Now, returning to Naboo, some comic book fans might be screaming about Project Cinder. 
I believe it was called, where Palpatine, after he died, had some automated environment ruining laser or something, I believe it was, that uh, hit Naboo. Very spiteful of him. But let's just say it's it's been a few decades and they rebuilt somehow. The city returned. You've got the camera following the Falcon as it enters Naboo and we see it veer away from Theed City. So we get a glance of Theed and then across some familiar forest land, some lakes, some farmland... And a keen eye would notice that groups of Naboo and Gungans are heading in to the opposite direction to the city in large numbers. And hey, let's go all out. Perhaps we see one of the groups of Gungans going towards the city, and it's a group of children being shepherded by Jar Jar Binks, who all see the famous, the galactically famous Millennium Falcon fly the other way into the rising sun. The kids cheer and Jar Jar smiles knowingly and reflectively. You can do that super quick. Damn. That'd be sick. You know, and if you're going to throw in Wicket, chuck in some Jar Jar. Come on. Rise above your, uh, your bias there, guys. And the Falcon lands at the Armadala family estate farm wherever that place was, from the deleted scene in uh, Attack of the Clones. And Ray walks off the Falcon, gets met by a brown-haired Naboo, who presumably is a descendant to Padme, and they greet each other out of earshot. And by descendant, you know, there was uh, Claudia Carvin, a uh, great Australian actress. She was a uh, a deleted sister to Padme. So she could have had some kids. But anyway, Ray then buries the sabres next to where Padme had been laid to rest on the farm. She force levitates a large stone on top of the site where the sabres are buried, then ignites her own yellow sabre giving us a look at that, and carves an alliance symbol in the stone. Hey, it's the end of the Star Wars saga, the Skywalker saga. I'm dripping it. And hey, if you wanted to do the Finn had force powers reveal, maybe as she strolls back to the Falcon, Finn does open up to her and says he's force sensitive and Ray could just smile put her hand on his shoulder and reply, I know. Hey, it's like poetry at rhymes, you guys. Am I going too far? Should should Ponder Barber and Dr. Everson walk out in this scene? <laughs> the whole thing with Finn and the Force powers, I, you know, I've heard rumours that what he was going to say was express his love for it and it was changed and... Uh, who knows if that's true or not, but it does fit the story better than having force powers. And I know there was the, you know, there was a scene with him feeling Ray or whatever, and I'm not sure if that was a reshoot or or whatever. But I'm a bit iffy on it. Ultimately, though, with Finn, and I believe it was in the Trevor Hour script but ultimately a much more satisfying and appropriate 
conclusion to his story would be him liberating the troopers, all his, you know, fellow orphans or, you know, kids that have been kidnapped. That would have sort of brought his character full circle rather than just sort of out of the blue and without any... I guess it it is a lot similar to Leia, but at least she admits she has powers <laughs> in the film in Return of the Jedi. But the Princess Leia one sort of stands to reason if you're going to reveal who her family is, then it'd sort of be, it's a logical next step. But yeah, I just think Finn freeing the troopers would have just way more appropriate. As they all get back on the Falcon, 3PO says he'll let them know they're on their way. Ray looks quizzical. Maz interjects and says the people of Naboo wanted to express their gratitude. Cut! Feed city horns blow! As Ray, Finn, Poe, R2-D2, C-3PO, Chewbacca, Rose, Jaina, Hal... Let's bring him back. Dominic Monaghan, Charlie from Lost. He can come out as well. I'm in a good mood. I'm I'm being very accommodating. But they come out much like, so much like, like all my ideas. They're just replications of other ideas. It's poetry. It rhymes. And where the Naboo celebration took place at the end of The Phantom Menace is the spot we're talking about. But it's the medal ceremony from A New Hope. Hey, let's just use the same music. Maybe we can give it a little Nabooing thing. But I, that, that music is so good. They walk up the aisle and not only are there Naboo and Gungans there to celebrate their heroes, but we've got squad from all over! We've got your Moncals, your Wookiees, your Hammerheads, Rodians, Twi'leks, Mandos, Ewoks, Broom Boy in his Padawan outfit, for all I care. Just empty out your box of action figures into this scene. You can't see it, but I am acting out amazingly. <laughs> the emptying of a box. And it's that whole thing of like, you know, a bit like Seinfeld finale where they're like, okay, remember all these people? It's the end of the story. Everyone's happy now. They get to the top of the stairs. Do they get medals? Do they get peace balls? Who cares? The crowd goes wild and our heroes are happy. The scavenger girl from Jakku is a hero of the galaxy. Started in a barren land with no one. Ends up in the lush surrounds of Naboo. Surrounded by friends. They're all blown away by the scene. Smiling at each other. R2 beeps. C-3PO. Let's make it a medal. 3PO gets a medal. Oh my stars, I've always wanted one of these. I don't care. It's the last two minutes of the film. Perhaps then... Maybe as your boss Nass type is handing out medals, 
referring to everyone by their name. He asks Ray what her family name is. Then you could do the thing where Ray looks behind where they're all standing, away from the crowd, into the, the empty space of the uh, the building or the temple, whatever it is there, and let's, let's erect a, uh, a statue of Queen Amidala in the background. Give her a shout-out. But she looks over when she contemplates her surname, and then she could see Luke and Leia. And then she looks back at her boss Nast-type Gungan. Maybe it's boss. I don't know. Brian Blessed, is he still around? Is he up for it? And she can smile and say, Ray Skywalker. The crowd roars. In a wide shot of the stairs, Ella, the last shot of the Phantom Menace, shows our heroes happy and together. And in the background, where Luke and Leia had just appeared, smiling and together, they are now joined by the apparitions of Yoda, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, Mace. Every damn Jedi is filling the background of that shot. So not only are the heroes there, then you've got all the Jedi in that last shot as well appearing. I know people... How how long do these... What What is Ahsoka? A trosh... I can't remember. But how long does an Ahsoka live for? Because she's got to be like 15 years older than Luke Skywalker at this point. Or at all points, probably. <laughs> so, you know, I know people don't want her to be passed away, but I kind of feel like it'd be better for her legacy as a character to be passed away by this point so she can appear in this final shot of my make-believe edit. Wide shot. Our heroes. The Jedis from... Generations back. Ray beams. She's happy. Cut to black. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Special consultant. Steel Saunders. I don't know. That's just one version. But massive hug to the prequels. Wouldn't that ending make you want to go watch The Phantom Menace? Come on. (laughs) Alright. To answer your question... For the actual ending we were presented on Tatooine, I'm going to give that a three. Enjoyed the Ray Skywalker, but ultimately the last shot of the film didn't make me happy. (laughs) And I wanted to feel very, very Return of the Jedi, Lando's clapping, we're all together, happy. That's what I was after. So, to get back to the scoring of this odyssey of a podcast series, we're giving that one a three. So, for the final... um, So, for the final act, out of a possible 70, this one got 42 which averages out as a three score, which brings our total average. My score 
The Rise of Skywalker. Three point three seven, which, as the rules that were set at the start, we are rounding to whole numbers. So, as it's three point three, we go down. It's a three. Actually, sank if it was just based on the first two acts, it would have um, been a bit over 3.5, like 3.6, so probably would have been rounded up. Um, some might say unfairly to a four, but uh, with the final act, we go down to a three, which pretty much sums up my feelings on the film. So after all this, I I think I was proven right about my feelings. I now agree with my feelings about this film. But uh, ultimately, I just think the Palpatine reveal as Grandpa betrayed the amazing work that was done with Rey in the first two films in the sequel trilogy. Um, I thought that, like, to have, like, a no one who truly is a no one, I just thought that was a logical twist to the the classic Star Wars story. Um, you know, Luke already discovered that uh, he was related to one of the most evil people in the galaxy. So was doing, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. It's interesting. I um I went to Kevin Smith's podcast reviewing The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker at Scum and Villainy. And I got to ask a question about um, the Ray reveal. And he was he, he was on board with it. And I said to him, like, the message of Ray for the last two movies is someone that came from nothing and what an inspiring story that is. And I said to him, like part of the mythology of Kevin Smith is that you, you came from nothing. You, you like maxed out all your credit cards and, and worked overnight for, for weeks for, for no money to, to get clerks filmed. And I'm sure that you've met hundreds of people throughout the years that said, oh, you know, your story inspired me to get going with what I wanted to do, whether it was in filmmaking or not. And he's like, yeah, that, that has actually happened. And I said, well, imagine then it's revealed that, and that your grandma was in a relationship with Harvey Weinstein, which I would say exactly how I said it. I, I'll find the link to it because it's... um. The wording is is not safe for work. And um, that you actually had an in with Hollywood after all this. And after getting over the Harvey Weinstein reference, he said, oh, yeah, that ex- you've, you've turned me around. You, you made it about me. So now I understand where you're coming from. There, there was a chance that the sequel trilogy could have been my favourite trilogy. The Force Awakens was just such a great celebration of Star Wars. 
Uh, the Last Jedi pushed the boundaries of what a Star Wars film could be, in my point of view. And then for me, The Rise of Skywalker dropped the balls when you've got editors saying they wished they had more time to hone the film. Every two years, the plan of trying to bring out one of these saga films every two years, a horrible mistake. So much goes in to a Star Wars film. It's so rich at every level. I just feel like trying to rush them out and then have a film in between. It wasn't treating the source material with enough respect. The fact that you're also not doing it with George Lucas, like the idea should even be like more honed. And I'm not saying like replicate what he would have done. Star Wars films are forever. And yeah, I just wish they had just bided their time. You know, maybe if Disney Plus was was closer, then we, we could have spread out the films a bit more maybe and, and had some TV shows in between. But I just think you do your saga films every three years. Like, wait till the film's out and you can watch what's on the screen and then do a script off that rather than how we saw it where the scripts were getting handed in before the films were released. And, and then with, you know, the changing of, of director for the last one, there was more time. At least the, this film should have been given an extra year. You know, I, I, it was... I think maybe rumored consideration that it was going to come in in the in the classic Star Wars May month, which ultimately would have been a disaster given um, COVID. But if they'd just given JJ time to really hone the script and then get going, rather than already having minimal time because of the Trevor Hour switch around trying to get this wrap-up of nine films or eight previous films. Yeah. But congrats or thank you to anyone that's uh, made it through with uh, all three episodes of this. I I had no idea this would uh, be such a long-running podcast series. And I want to do a bit more conversation about this, maybe Q and A. So if you guys have like your scores, your thoughts about the scoring thing or the film, anything, hit the patron, the Patreon, and get to this episode. And uh, if you're a patron, which, you know, dollar up patrons that all work for, uh, write a question and, or a, topic thing and we'll handle this in an upcoming patreon q and a so i'd be fascinated if people scored along or not and the, the, the scoring thing doing it by myself is um like very yeah it's 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 doing something for a long time by yourself and my idea to do it for the entire saga would be a chapter-by-chapter episode going around the different films with a panel of people and making it far more uh, 
jovial, but scoring the films along the way to find out which would be um, mathematically. And, you know, I think it'd be fun to, to compare people's scores and stuff to which is the greatest Star Wars film, inarguably, mathematically. So um, I'm, I'm going to keep uh, dwelling on that project and uh, seeing what can come of it. Let me know if you've got any thoughts. Thank you guys so much. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been a, a cathartic for me to get out all this stuff and, and then also come back with my equally bad ideas <laughs> of how I would have done it. I expect if I go through and do score all these films, no matter what format I do, that this will probably end up being my least favourite of the saga films. Just for that twist and um, how disappointing I found it. But, like all Star Wars, plenty of good stuff to still enjoy in it. And I look forward to not watching it for a while and then watching the whole thing in one shot like a normal person. Hey, if you enjoyed these episodes, please uh, give us a share on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're doing that. I'm at Steel Wars, S-T-E-E-L-E-W-A-R-S on all those platforms. And uh, if you want to join the Patreon to hear a ton of bonus content, over 600 episodes, exclusive shows, many of them timeless in that, you know, Star Wars year by podcast. We go through Star Wars history. It doesn't matter when you listen to that, but they're all there for you. It's um, just to support. It is a dollar to get ad free or interruption free main episodes. And then if you want bonus content, that is all available at the $3 tier. And you put a feed into your iPod uh, catcher, your pod catcher, wherever, whatever app you use. And it downloads like a normal podcast and you are listening away and your support is so appreciated. That's patreon.com forward slash steel wars. And the link for that is in your show notes. Thank you guys so much. And may that force be with you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.